0: Okay, today's daf is Yudbet, bet, uh, Baba Kama twelve, and we pick up at the very uh, top line of your betam aleph. Our learning should be in the zechus of the protection of our chayalim and chayalot, and uh, all the innocent people whose uh, lives are at risk right now, um, and um, we and the protection of Am Yisrael, Medina Yisrael. Um, Okay, so we are now in the middle list of a, uh, a list of statements from uh, Ula in the name of Rebbe Lezer. And the most recent one was was that govin Minha vadim that debts can be collected from slaves, meaning that the same way there is a lien on real estate, on land, there's a lien on slaves, which means that if the debtor sold it to a third party... Um, or died and his heirs inherited, the creditors could collect from the slaves the same way they could collect from real estate, which is something they could not do by chattel. Now that was challenged by Rav Nachman, and um, Rav Nachman um, seemed to say, wait, that doesn't make any sense. He seemed to reject the idea that there would be a lien on a slave, which caused uh, Ullah to double back, and um, and Ula said, no, 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 I'm only talking about when there's actually an apoteki, um, an explicit um, lien that was placed on the slave, that would be work. It would not work if it was on normal chattel, like on cattle. Um, but if it was an explicit document that placed a lien on a slave, that would work. But I don't mean that just as a general rule, there are liens on slave. As a general rule, liens only take place on land on real estate. Okay, that was at least how Ula responded when he was challenged by Rav Nachman. But now we pick up at the top of Yudbet Aleph and we're going to see that that was not really his position. So Lebaser to Nafak, after Rav Nachman left, Amaluhu Ullah, Ula said to the people that were there, Hachim Lazar, you should know that here's really what Lazar said. Not like we're talking only when an explicit apotiki was placed, but afilu Miyasmi that the it genuinely is a lien on slaves that you can collect even from the heirs if the person dies or from the third parties who purchase it, that there is a lien on slaves the same way there is a lien on real estate. Okay. I'm a Rav Nachman, so apparently Rav Nachman heard about this, and he said, Ula. Ula is sort of getting out of his position. He's avoiding stating, you know, what he really holds um, um, from, um, you know, he's holding back from me his real position. Because uh, clearly Rav Nachman, as we, as we uh, just heard, very strongly uh, rejected the idea that there could be a lien on slave without an official apoteki. So Ula, rather than directly confronting Rav Nachman and saying, yes, my tradition is that there can, sort of avoided the conversation. But Ula's actual tr- position from Rebbe Lezer is, yes, there is a lien on slaves. So now we're going to continue and see that you know the weight seems to be following Ula's practice. So let's take a look um I'm have nachmin authority how i of the bernarda there was a case in naharda which is which where Shmuel was the authority um, and um, um, and also, you know, Rav Nachman, um, Shmuel's uh, student, was the authority in Narda, And the judges of Nardah um, actually were prepared to collect a lien from slaves, assume that if somebody lent money, that gave them a lien not only on land, but also on slaves. They followed the teaching of um, Ula in the name of Rebelezer. There was also a case in Pumadisa. And Rav Hanabar Bizna allowed the creditor to collect from slaves that were either uh, passed on to the heirs or were sold to a third party. So you see, everybody is ruling that slaves are fully like property, and there's a lien on slaves the same way there's a lien on property. And this was the teaching of of, um, Ula in the name of Rabbi Lezer. So, but Rav Nachman... Uh, dis- uh, continues to disagree. so Rav Nachman said to the judges, um, um Zilu ahadu go-, ahaduru, go reverse the judgment, or he said to you know Ravchana Barbizna, go reverse the judgment, give these s- s- slaves back to the debtor, you, or back to the third party, I should say, the purchasers, uh, there is no lien on slaves. Um, Zil Ahadru, the alone if you don't, Magbinan luchula Apandaichu, I will, he was saying to the judges, I will take your castles from you, meaning I will Seize your houses in payment that you have actually judged incorrectly, and this was a complete error. All right. So Rav Nachman strongly feels that there are no liens on slaves, and the creditor does not have a right to collect slaves that were sold to third parties. Um, Amalei Ravler Rav Nachman. So finally, somebody's going to push back against Rav Nachman's objections. Said rav Rav Nachman. Haula. One minute. Ula clearly holds there are liens on slaves. Harav the Lez, Lezer, holds it. Rebbe Lezer, Ula was teaching in the name of Rebbe Elizar. Had de Narda, and we have the case uh, that happened in Narda. The judges of Narda clearly feel that. The Harav Chanabar Bizna, and there's also Rebbe Chanabar Bizna in so You have all of these people that hold all of these positions that there are liens on slaves, and slaves are considered like, li- like land. Mar Svirle, who do you hold like that you think that there are not liens? On slaves. So Amale, he said, Ana mas nisi yadana, Look, it's very nice to quote me all those authorities. I don't know about those authorities. All I know, I'm a simple yid, all I know is the Breite. What Braita is it that I know of? Anna Masnisi Adana. Uh, I would like. D'etani um, Avimi Avimi taught a Prisbo Chalala Karka Veno Chalala if you write a prismal, the thing that allows somebody to collect the debt after Shemitah, so the halacha was, was that it can only be written if the debtor has at least some piece of land. Um, So he says that that will work if the debtor has a piece of land, but not if the debtor has a slave. Now, what's the logic? So the way to understand this is, is that if I have a lien, if I'm the creditor, let's say, and I have a lien on land against the debtor, the reason that the you know the Shemitah annuls it because... It, you know, is it, because it I, I can't sort of demand collectment of of the debt. But if there's land and I could, the land is available and I have a lien on it for me to seize at any time, it's as if you know, I already have that debt under my control because I can take that land and it's there at any time. Okay? And that is true if there's land to the debtor, but not if there is um, slaves. So that just seems to show that there are no liens on slaves. could okay? Maybe it's based on other things, but at least on the face of it, it seems to be that it works for land because there are liens, and if it's not working for slaves, it's because there are no liens on slaves. That's number one. Uh, number two. So that's a principle of liens. Um, now, and we're going to, so, and, and now let's look at another area in which this question of are slaves treated like land or not like land? Um, so, uh, so continuing this break, uh, you can take, you can take, possession of chattel together with, uh, together with land, but not together with slaves. So what does this mean? There's a principle we learned in kiddushin called kinyan agav that when you take possession of land, if the person is trying to sell you, transfer ownership of chattel as well, even if the chattel isn't chattel isn't on the land. I want to go ahead and I want to sell you my car, or my watch, or whatever, and you're taking possession of land. I say, by your taking of possession of this land, you will also take possession of my watch wherever it is, you know. And then that works. That's considered a kinyan agav. So that works when you t- t- take possession of karka. If the seller or the gift gift giver wants to give you cattle That will go together with the king of the karka, wherever that chattel is. So that works with metaltolin, but it does not work with slaves. So you see by both of these that slaves are considered to be, uh, I'm sorry, Nickname ima karka, veenim nickname ima excuse me, right, if you take possession of slaves, you do not take possession of chattel. Okay, so in both of these, um, slaves do not work like land. They're not liens, there's liens on land, and you can write a prisbo, but there's not a lean on slave that's implicit, and therefore you can't write a prisbal. So a slave is not like land. Avdin is Avda is not Kimikarki dami. It's not like karka. And number two, when you take possession of land, you can be kona with agav Metaltalin, chattel. But when you take possession of slaves, you cannot be kona metaltilin through agav. So you see that slaves are like chattel, are like metaltalin, They are not like land. Now, we'll just pause here because, you know, Tosus notes that in all other places in Shas, the assumption is that Evan is kimakarka a slave is like land, that when you're exempt, for example, of taking an oath or overcharging or all of these categories of exemptions, um, that the things don't apply to land, they also, you, you know, by a va, by, by kark and Gazela by Karka, by Avadim, that they, if they don't apply to land, they don't apply to slaves. So what is the whole issue here about whether slaves are like land or not? We know that Slaves and lands are usually in the same category. So Tosu says that the question is by things that are rabbinic. Do we treat slaves like land, land even for rabbinic halachot? And the two halachot we're looking here about liens on you know on land and on slaves um, or prizbo, which is a rabbinic halacha. Or agav, this way that when you're conus, when you take possession of land, you take possession of chattel. Tosaf says those are all rabbinic, and that's the question: Should we extend the category slaves equal lands even to rabbinic areas? Um, it's not so clear why we should change the category. Once slaves are like lands for Torah, to write the laws, why should they not be for rabbinic laws? The other way to think about it is things that are like more formal exemptions. Or things that are more like real, where you know where where how things are actually the role they play in society really matters. Um, slaves maybe are seen like land to some degree because, you know, they um, are property that lasts for a long time. They work the land. Um, They are maybe, you know, things that are inherited and passed down and so on. You know, the Torah actually speaks about slaves in that way, that it's a type of an inheritance that's passed down. So as a technical, formal category, if you're exempt in some halachot from land, you could be exempt from slaves. But that doesn't explain how they function in society. And, you know, the question about liens, well, the reason there's liens on land and not on chattel is because land doesn't move around, and you know exactly what the land is, and you can have very clear records about who owns which piece of property, and that makes it fair for purchasers who can have access to that information. You know, that doesn't play out exactly the same way with slaves. Um, So, you know, that's in terms of, like, the liens issue, and Prusbo maybe goes with it. And this idea of taking possession of land and taking possession of chattel, all of those are areas in which have to do with more of how they function in society, and that maybe is a different category. But for one reason or another, within these areas of liens and kinyonim, the Gemara wants to know are slaves like land or not. So we have Ula in the name of Rebbe Lezer and a whole list of dayanim that said that there were sort of liens on slaves, slaves are like land, and Rav Nachman is resisting it, and he's quoting the Spreita and saying, no, no prusba on slaves, Agav doesn't work when you take possession of a slave. You don't get Agav with mataltalin Slaves are like chattel. They are not like land. So that is the debate, at least in these two areas. So now the Gemara says like this. Um, okay, so the Gemara says, Let's say this debate of Rav Nachman who says slaves are not like land and Ula and Rav Lezer says they are like land. Let's say this is a debate of Tanayim. Lema Macher lo avadim If somebody sold, Ruben sold to Shimon slaves and land. The hechzik b'avadim, took possession of the slave, lo kana karkos. You don't take possession of the land. karkos lo kana avadim. Take possession of land. You don't take possession of the slaves. So slaves seem to be, um, you know, the simple sense here is that they're not functioning like chattel because if they were functioning like chattel, if you took possession of karka, you would take possession of the slaves. So it seems here that slaves are considered to be like land, or they're in the third category. But when you take possession of slaves, you don't, possession, you don't take possession of land, and vice versa. Um, Lo and karka. Uh, uh, let's do the. Uh, okay. Now, however, and um, If you had slaves and chattel, hechzik karka If you take possession of the land, you take possession of the chattel, but not vice versa. That's the principle of the kinyan agav. Avadim Now, if you had slaves and chattel, hechzik ba If you take possession of the slaves, you don't take possession of the chattel. avadim. If you take possession of the chattel, you don't take possession of the slaves. Um, so, all of this works. It's, um, you know, uh, basically slaves don't work together with anything. Um, they don't work together with karka, and they don't work together with metaltolin. And to some degree, they may be even seem like a third category by themselves. Okay, so taking possession of metaltolin um, or karka or slaves, you don't get sort of the other one with it. Um, now, that's one praetha. Um, We'll we'll see, the Gemara is going to sort of work through the the details of this. But we have a different b'aita that teaches, that if you take possession of slaves, you do take possession of chattel. So without sort of working through all the permutations, let's focus on the one that's been our focus, which is, does Kinyan Agav work? If you take possession of slaves, you take possession of metaltolin. Does it work like Karka? When you take possession of Karka, you take possession of metaltolin. So the first that said, no it does not work with Agav, and the second right here says, yes, it does work with Agav. So, we're going to have to figure out all the permutations, but at least zoning in on this particular issue, when you take the slaves, you get the metaltolin, if that's debated, that seems to be our issue. My love, Baha Kamiftagi, isn't that that this is the debate? Demar avardim kim karkai that this second rite holds that slaves are like land, and therefore if you take possession of slaves, you can do agav and get metaltolin with it. Um, no, they're like chattel, and if you take possession of one, you do not take possession. Um, if you take possession of one piece of chattel, you don't take possession of another piece of chattel. Okay, so again, without getting into the permutations just yet, these brights disagree whether being Kona a slave allows you to do Aga for Mithaltolin. That seems to be exactly our debate. <laughs> Ami. So said Ravika, son of Ravami, no. I can explain these brightas that everybody holds slaves are like karka, so you should be able to do agav. The so the one that says you can use a slave and do agav with shop that works with the idea that it's like karka. A lot of time you're kind of, the idea that says that if you get the slave, you don't get the chattel. Okay, so you do not, um, you know, it's, it, yes, it's like Karka, but it's not like standard Karka. It's not like the verse, we're going to see a verse that's the basis of Agav that speaks about like the walled cities, you know, in, in Yehuda. So therefore, it has to be real Karka in order to work for Agav. It's a special halach of Agav the low 90, that they don't move that something's stable, it's not a human being that moves around it's real land why should I say that? that you need a special requirement for Agav because let's see what the basis of this Kenyan of Agav is Here's the principle, the and Kiddushin, Things that do not have liens on them, meaning chattel, is to, you can take possession of them when you're taking possession of things that do have liens, meaning when you're taking possession of karka. And how do you take possession of karka? With kesef shtar, and chazaka, okay? Classic ways in which you take possession of land. That's the principle of Agav. When you take possession of land, if the owner wants to sell you chattel, the chattel can also transfer. And we teach on that. Where does this? What is this based on? The verse says, and their father gave them many gifts, silver and gold and delicacies, together with the uh, walled cities of Yehuda. So, and from there we learn that when they took possession of the walled cities of Yehuda, they took all of this other cattle together with it. Okay, so what we're basically saying is, Everybody could hold that it functions like that, it's like karka for standard halachot, and maybe everybody would agree that there are liens on slaves. That's where the debate started. Um, but these brightas would disagree whether a Kenyan agav works, because even though technically they're like karka, again, they're like karka, but they're not actual karka, they're human beings and they're moving around. And for the Kenyan agav, you might need real karka based on the pasuk. Okay. Especially if you want to conceptualize it, that looks like since you could sort of put the chattel on the land, land is a place, a repository for chattel, that works for real land, it doesn't work for, you know, slaves. Okay, so that's the debate, but in all other areas, it would be like land. That would be how you would defend a um, Ravna, uh, excuse me, an Ula position, and you know that it is like land. Um, that's one explanation. Um daami. Some say Let's go the opposite way. We'll defend a Rav Nachman position. Slaves will be like chattel. There won't be any liens on them, okay? No liens. Um, so then what's the brighter that says you can use them for agav? So if a Haditanya lo, according to the brighter that you did not take possession, you can't use them for agav, shapir, that works well. Haditanya khanav, the brighter that says that you can use them for agav, Odin alav, no, you misunderstood it. It's not referring to the fact that you take possession of the slave and you can take possession of my watch in, that's in a different state. That's Kenyan agav. That's not true. Slaves are like metaltulen. So what does it mean that it can work? If the other object is on the slave, the slave is wearing my watch. So you take possession of my slave and you also take possession of my watch because then when you take possession of my slave, that becomes like your property. It is your property. And then you take possession of the watch that's on my slave because that's a Kenyan chotzer. All right? so. It says that when you take possession of slaves, you take possession of cattle, and it sounds like it's agav, but it's really not agav. It's a special case of kinyan chutzir when the slave, when the property is on the slave. V'chi odan olive says, if, if the property is on the slave, my have, who cares? Chatzer mehalechasi. The slave is still a moving yard, a moving field, piece of property. Kinyan Khatar presumably does not work if the property is moving. Um, so the Gemara says, We know that that does not work to take possession. So that the slave is standing. Rava says that it doesn't matter, that if somebody, when they were walking, would not serve as a chatzor because they have the ability to walk and therefore they're not like a normal chatzor and it's not like it's normally under my control and possession if it's on my slave. So the fact that my slave happens to be standing doesn't make it work as a chatzor. So the so Gemar says, fine, fine. So the way it will, take, it will work that something I can take possession of something on my slave is if my slave is bound, and therefore he doesn't have the ability to walk, and then he works like a piece of land. Tosus discusses that he also might have to be asleep so that the thing is only being protected because I'm protecting it and not because my slave is keeping an eye on it. So this is a very, very Dochok explanation um, that um, basically it's not working by Agav, it's working by Chatzor in a very special case. So what do we have? So we have this Brita that is very complicated about slaves and slaves and and slaves and Karka and the whole thing, but focusing in on the issue about does it work for Agav, one that says it doesn't, one says it doesn't. This would seem to be the debate about whether slaves are like Karka or not. And the Gemara has two explanations. One is everybody could agree, like Ula, that it's like Karka, and there are leans but it might not work for Agav because it's not like the pasuk and it's not n- real property. And the other is everybody could agree, like Rav Nachman, there are no liens, and maybe the way that it works is not Agav, but through a special circumstance and a Kenyan char. Fine. So now let's see. Tanya says the Gemara. Okay, let's look at a different part of the breitah. Um... Our breiter said that if you take possession of land, you don't take possessions of slaves, the breiter we quoted before. We have yet another breiter that says, if you take possession of land, you do take possession of slaves. Okay, so now we have to figure out what these two breiters are arguing about. So so let's understand what that's idea. Let's start with the breiter that if you take possession of land, you take possession of slaves. How does that work? Um, So, Hassam says in the Gemara, that the slaves are standing in the property. So, if, again, this would work, um, as we'll see in a minute, the Gemara will spell this out, but if you say that slaves are um, like chattel, then when you take possession of land, you take possession of slaves, because that could be like agav, okay? But if slaves are like uh, Karka, then why, when you take possession of land, should it work for the slaves, all right. Does it work if you take possession of one piece of land, you take possession of another? That's not so clear. So let's see what the Gemara says. Okay, we're going to figure this out as we go along. When you take possession of land, you take possession of slaves. The slaves are standing in the land. So when it says you don't take possession, they're not standing in the land. Um, the first Ami the totally dummy. So if you say slaves are like, now we're going to see how to play out these brightas based on whether they're like chattel or whether they're like karka. If you say that they're like chattel, maybe I could make a distinction in the property and not, even though agavit shouldn't matter. We'll get to that in a minute. But for now, we're going to, we're going to bracket that. If they're like chattel, I could understand why it might matter and how to resolve the two brightas between whether the slaves are in the land I'm taking possession of or not in the land. How would this work? Um, That's why it could work. I could say if they're in it, it works maybe because of Kenyan Chatzar or because of Kenyan Agov. So they need to be in the land. But if they're not in the land, it doesn't work. So if you treat them like cattle, I can work with both brightas. It works, you know, the one that says your Kona when you're Kona Karka is because they're in the land and when you're not, it's because they're separate from the land all the hatch dami but if they're like uh property lameli on why do i need them to be standing in the land Hamar much muel mechalo esersados eser medinos kimajaxip achisman kono kuam Shmuel says that actually, yes, when you take possession of one piece of land, that can work for another piece of land, even if it's very distant. I can take possession of a piece of property in New York, and if the seller is intending to sell it to me, that act of taking possession can also allow me to take possession of his uh, of you know of a different piece of property in California. Okay, so the Gemara says if this idea that one Breita says you get the slaves with the land, and one says you don't, and we're distinguishing whether the slave is in the, on the piece of property or not, I could theoretically understand it matters if they're chattel, although in a minute we're going to challenge that as well. But there I could imagine chattel in a land works, not in the land doesn't work. But if slaves are like property, Shmuel says... Whenever you take possession of one piece of property, you can take possession, if it's intended, of a different one, even very distant. So how do you reconcile these two brightness? How does it matter standing in the land or not standing in the land? So the Gemara says... So now the Gemara pushes back. You know what? This distinction, standing in the land or not standing, doesn't really work even if you say they're like cattle, And this is for the reason we were saying before. Because Agav, it doesn't have to be in the land. The principle of Agav is that when you take possession of Karka, you you can take possession of cattle even if it's not physically in the land. So either way, we've got a problem. Okay, whether you say slaves are like cattle or whether you say they're like karka, we have one braiter that says it works when you take possession of karka to take slaves, and one says it doesn't. We distinguish whether slaves are in the land or not in the land, but logically, none of that should matter because whether they're karka, if they're metalin, they shouldn't need to be in the land and to work for agav, and if they're karka, shouldn't need to be in the land. One piece of karka works for another piece of karka. So, how do you make this distinction? So the Gemara says, Ella top of you'd bet, Shani de So if you're gonna go the route of slaves are like metalin, you would be forced to make a distinction between property that moves and property that doesn't move. Tosos, by the way, says moves here means like a human being, a slave, not like a cow. Okay? That when do we say that Agav works? even if something is not physically in the property, if it's basically an inanimate object, or it's a cow, it's not a human being. And that type of a case you know, especially because then you could imagine that the intent of the seller to sell it, since these things don't have a will of their own, the ins- the, the seller is like conceptually combining it all in one package. And that's when agav works and the metatoline are not physically present. But if you have a slave that has a, a, an intellect and a will of his own, it is not connected to the land you're selling unless he is physically present in the land. So even if you say slaves are like chattel, Agav would not work with a slave unless the slave was in the land. That's how to deal with that distinction. Similarly, if you take the approach that slaves are like land, so we could say the same type of thing. They're like land, but for this idea that when you take possession in New York, it works for a piece of land in California, that doesn't work with a slave. Why? Hakanami, shani shani mekarkai, the naidi mi mekarkai de lo naidi. Even when you consider it to be land, there's a difference between land that doesn't move and land that does move. Of the karki denied you, and a slave is basically land that moves. Hussam, and therefore, when I take possession of a piece of property in New York, the slave doesn't go with it. Fundamentally, the slave is considered a free agent and detached and so on, not a free agent, but whatever, you know, not seen as one piece with a piece of land in New York. And therefore, that kenyan of karka for this other quote-unquote karka doesn't work. But for New York and California, the crust of the land is all the same, meaning everything is connected, you know, we won't worry about separated by oceans, maybe also there, there's the ocean floor, but all land somehow is seen as one big piece of land, it's just a few thousand miles away, but it's still somehow part of the same, same conceptual extended piece of land. So therefore, that's why you can take possession of New York and also take a piece of land in California. But that would not be true by slaves. So what did we say? We have said that even though slaves are basically, the principle is like karka for normal halachot, especially cases of like when they're exempt from certain halachot. when it comes to things like liens and related to liens prisbol and also this kenyan of agav, you know, there we can discuss whether they are like like land or like, or like a chattel, um, Ula and Narda and all of these positions say that they're like land and there are liens on them. Rav Nachman says there are no liens on them. And now we see that, okay, that's one question, whether there are liens or not liens. When it comes to these Kinyanim, uh, there could be a lot of exceptions. So even if you think that slaves are, um, are like, um, um um land. Um it might in term when you get to the question about using them for agav, it might not work to do agav with them because they're not like the you know landed cities in Yehudah, like the Pasuk, and therefore it doesn't work to have you know to have them the vehicle to be Kona cattle when you threw a Kenyan Agav, even if normally they would be like land. Um, that's one exception. Similarly, the question about when you're Kona land, when you start with land, do you get the slaves as well? Even even if the slaves are like land, the answer might be no, because they're, again, independent, they move around, so being Kona, this piece of land doesn't work for, it might work for a piece of land that's physically distant, but it doesn't work for a slave, and if they're like chattel, even though there's a thing called a Kinyon above, again, that might not work by a slave that's under their own volition, um, and therefore you might need the slave to actually physically be in the on the property for it to work. So when it comes to kinyanim, a lot of ways in which, you know, there's you can't really put them in a nice, neat category. And the debate of Ula and Rav Nathmin seems to much more be focused on this question about whether there are liens that apply to slaves automatically like they do to land. Okay, that was all wrapping up statements of Ula in the name of, of, of Rabbi Lazar. And now we move to the next part of the Mishnah, which is giving general principles about Mizikin. And the next line is, she'en behem You only pay for damages done to property for which there is no Mi'lah, meaning stuff that is like chulin, he- you know, or hedyot, hedyot and not hektish that there's an exemption of nezek if the damaged property belongs to hektish. So the Gomorrah says, but, it, but the, the Mishnah focuses on mi'ila, which is the particular korban that you bring when you misuse hektish, and it only applies to certain types of hektish. And other hektish, there's no korban mi'ila. So it actually seems that there could be a category of things that are sanctified that you would be liable to pay if you damaged. So let's take a look so the word says like this it's okay there's no me'ila as long as there's no me'ila you pay for damages even if the thing is sanctified so what is something that is sanctified that there's no me'ila so the classic example is kachim kalim okay kachim kalim is like a shlumim where the owner eats the meat um, and the Kohanim eat also the Chazayin Shok, and they eat a piece of it, okay? But the, um, the Shlumim is Kachim Kalim, because it could be eaten in all Yerushalayim, and it's eaten by the owners, and there is no Meila. The only thing that is Mi'ilah by a Shlomim is the Emurim, the innards that are burnt on the altar after the animal is Shechted, because that is the thing that is Kulo LaHashem. But the rest of it, the meat or whatever, no me'il at all. So that would seem to say that if my animal gores a slumim of somebody else, um, I have to pay, even though it's sanctified. Because there's no mi'ilah, there still is going to be payment for Nezek. All right. So, what is that based on? So, Mantana, who is this tana? I'm Yochanan, the kalim, The case would be kachim kalim, lighter sacrifices, like I said, a shlomin, and where there's no mi'ila. And it follows Reb Yossi aglili, the Amar Maman Bailimhu, because there's a classic position of Reb that says that kachim kalim is considered to be, even though it's sanctified and it has to be brought up on the altar, that's more about like its status. But that's not about who owns it. You know, if you want to use an analogy, I don't know, think about like a pair of t- Villain, right? It's our safer Torah. You own it, it's holy, it has holiness in it, but it's owned by you that, he says, is kachim kalim. You're the owner. You're going to bring it. You're going to eat the meat. Okay? It has, it. you know, it has to be sprinkled on the altar, the blood. You know, it's kadosh. The meat can only be eaten in certain places, but it's yours. That's very different than if I donate my car to hektish, which is owned by hektish. Or even kachim like a chatas or an ola, which is basically not going to be eaten by me at all. That's like it, it all belongs to hektish, but kachim kalim, that is mamon bailing. That's mine. And because of that, that is a whole ramifications for where for Rabbiosi Glili, it is not exempted from areas which Tektish is exempt. And here too, if your ox scores my shlomim, you have to pay me. It's like it just scored my normal cow. Okay, now, Ditani, we taught in Brysa. Umala mal Bahashem. It says somebody, you know, swears falsely against his neighbor, denies that he he's watching an object for his neighbor, and because he swears falsely, he is trespass against God, and he has to pay back, and he has to bring a special korban, Mi'ilah, and sa Asha Mi'ilah, etc. So the Torah says he trespasses against God through falsely using God's name, you know, in an oath. But the teaching here of Reb Yossi is that um, that this can apply even by an object that's lehashem. Even by some type of an object that is sanctified, you could be denying your friend the right to it. It's fundamentally your friend's, and by denying and taking a false oath, you're stealing from your friend, and all these halachot apply. So it is really considered to belong to your friend, even though it is La Hashem. Okay? So La Hashem, L'Rab Bashem, L'Rab was Kachim Kalim Shen Mamono, Lili. So Byosed Lili says that you are den- that, that thing that you are watching for your friend, that shlumim, that thing is that Mao Mab Bhashem, there's sort of God's thing here, but it's also the ki You're denying it to your friend, and therefore it is his property, and you have to pay. Okay. That's, so. Now that's it. So that's what our mission. Our mission is saying is you can have kachim that you pay for for damaging as long as there's no me'il, As long as there's kachim kalem. So the word says But didn't we teach in a mishnah? Another Mishnah in, in, in kiddushin, quoting a lot of kiddushin right now. Hamak teach If a kohen marries a woman with his portion of a korban okay baim bicachim kachim baim bicachim kolim whether it's his portion in a chatos or um, an ola you know the the leather of an ola something that's kachim kachim or even kachim kolim the chazay shlok shok the thigh and the breast of the animal you know that the kohen has a right to eat if he goes ahead and he says to a woman harayat mikudesha the luck is mikudesha she's not married to him Okay? Even though now, you know, she might have the ability to eat that meat, but depending on if she's like, you know, well, now she's going to be married to a co Um Well, um, you know, um, or um, uh, um, so at least by the Kachim uh, column, the... Um, um, the wife of a kohen can eat the, uh, you know, can eat the the uh, the kohen gadol's portion, okay? Or she could sell it to another kohen. Anyway, so the point is, he went and he gave this to her, even though it is something of value. She's not married. Why not? Because even though he has a right to eat from it. It's not considered his. It's not mamun Bailim. We're going to see a phrase that's a contrast to mamun Bailim that the Gemara is going to come with in a second, which is going to be, Mishukhan gavoa Kazachu. He's eating off of God's table. So he's invited to eat from the meat, but it's not his property, so he's not giving her his property. Okay? So the Gemara says, look, that applies even to Kachim Kalim, so it seems like that's not going like Rabbi Yosei Aglili, because Rabbi Yosei Aglili would say at least the Kachim Kalim is Mamun Bailim. Okay? Le'imadolok Rabbi Yosei Aglili. Let's say that's not like Rabbi Yosei Um So the Gemara says, no. Afilu temi Rabbi Yosei Aglili. That could even be Rabbi Yosei Aglili. Ki Rabbi Yosei Aglili mechayim. Avala ha-shchit Afilu Rabbi Aglili moda. The ki kazachu mi gavo kazachu. When did Rabbi Yosei Aglili say the Kachim Kalim was Mamun when the Animal was still alive. Okay. It's my korban. I'm going to go ahead and bring it. It's mine. But once it's shechted and now we're eating the meat. That's like God is inviting us to eat from God's table. Then I'm no longer eating mine. I'm eating something that is God's. Okay? So only when it's alive is it still mine. Once it's shechted and brought as a korban and being eaten from, we're eating from God's. And that's why when the Kohen, God, when the Kohen gives his portion of kachim kalim to a woman, she's not mikudeshus that works even for Reb Yosef Aglili because at that stage, it is no longer his. Now, Rashi here says, by the way, interesting debate of Rashi and Tosfos. You know, Rashi says that idea of mishuchon Gavo kazachu even applies to the owners when the owners are eating their portion, which is um, um, which really means that for all of Rabbi Yosi the idea of that it's the the owners only applies when the animal is alive. Tosfos makes a big distinction. Tosfos says, no, no, no. When it comes to a Shlomim, it started off as my cow. I'm eating my cow, Any, anybody can eat the cow, not only limited, you know, to kohanim, it can be eaten, and all of you is shalayim, so for the owner, we do not say mishulchan kavoha the owner is always eating his shlomim, he's eating his own thing, according to Rabbi Yosef and if the owner used his port part of the shlomim to marry a woman, that would actually, you know, even after it was bishakted, that would be considered, you know, a Mamon hedyo, that would be considered mamun bailim. The Kohen's portion, however, Kohanim, are always eating off of God's table. You know, it didn't start as the Cohens. The person offered it to God and now the Kohen gets a piece of it. Okay, fine. So what is the Gemara saying? Rabbi Yosef says that by klamim, that it that Certainly, when you know when it's shlamim, when it's alive, that's considered to be the owner's. If your ox scores my shlomim when it's alive, you have to pay me. We don't treat it as belonging to the base of mikdash. Okay, once it's been shechted, certainly at that point the Kohanim's portion is considered to be eating from God's table. But when it's alive, that is considered and b'yilin. So now let's see if the Gemara is going to challenge. Is that always true that when it's alive, it's mum and for Fereb Yosef So the Gemara says like this does Rabbi gleely really say that when it's alive, it's always considered to be be, be mum and bailim? Um, that's not we taught in the Mishnah. Bechor, if you have a firstborn animal, um, which the halacha is, it's given to the Kohen and brought as a korban. However, if it has a mum, the Kohen can shecht it and eat it outside the base of Mikdash without bringing it as a korban. So, you have a Bechor. Mokrinos chai. If it is unblemished and would have to be brought as a korban, um, the and I give it to a kohen. The kohen can go ahead and sell it to another kohen. You know, whatever he can go ahead and sell it, and the other person will bring it. Okay, so that's already a chiddush that you're allowed to sell something that has to be brought as a korban. All right, Ubalmum, If it has a blemish and now it could be shechted and eaten without being brought, chai v'shachot. It could be sold whether it's alive or even after it's shechted. It's just meat. It's just a normal. It's just a normal thing that could be eaten. And it no longer is being brought as a korban. All right, And you can go ahead and use it to marry a woman. If it's something you can sell, then you can use it to marry a woman. So that basically means it's like it's your property. And that would be a principle about mamun Yod. Now, that would work very nice. It's alive, right? None of these is when it's been shechted as a korban. It's either without a blemish and alive or it has a blemish and is not going to function as a korban so it's alive or dead. All those cases, mamon yod. Works perfectly with the idea, let's focus on the case of tamim when it could in theory be brought as a korban. And nevertheless, while it's still alive, the coin can go ahead and can use it to marry a woman, can sell it. This is the principle, seems perfect with what we said, that when it's still alive, um, even though eventually it's going to be brought as a korban, it's still mamon yod. Except we have a little problem. The of Nachman Amara Rabbar Barfua said the name of Rabbar Barfua Lo shanu that is only true nowadays that there's no base of Nikdash since it can't be brought as a korban, that's why the coin is considered to be an owner of this bchor that is unblemished, because it will never be brought as a korban. So therefore, eventually, what are you going to do with it? With an unblemished thing, you're going to wait for it to get a blemish, and then you're going to eat it. So it's seen as in the process. Of being a non-Korban and shecht outside the base of because there's no base of You're just waiting for it to get a blemish. That's when I could say that it's like the Kohen owns it. That's when it's Mamun Bailim. Okay? When there's a base of Mikdash, that it can be brought as a Korban, lo, then it's not considered Mamun Bailim. You can't sell it as a Kohen. You can't be Makadish in Isha. So that seems to be exact against the idea of Reb Yossi saying that when it's alive and it's Kachim column, which is what a Bechor is, it's mamun Bailim. Now, maybe you could say we're not going like Reb Yossi, so let's take a look. So the Gemara says... Um, the Aisei Reveler of Nachman and Rav Challenger of Nachman. Umala Rav kalim he said, I don't understand. Why do you have to say that? Couldn't this work like Reb Yossi Aglili? According to Reb Yossi Aglili, it's Kachim Kalim, this Bechor. So even if there is a of Mikdash, well, you know, it's still alive. Let it function as Mamun Baalim. Um, and he answered, Ravina, rather than saying, um, you know what, you're right. Reb Yossi Aglili actually does say that it's Mom and Bailim when it's alive. It says, no, no. Reb Yossi Aglili is only talking about a very special case. When did Reb Yossi Aglili say it's Mom and Bailim? Similar to our case that there's no base of Mikdash. It's a B'chor outside of Eretz Yisrael. And outside of Eretz Yisrael, Following the position of Reb Shimon, either you're not supposed to bring it as a korban, you're supposed to wait till it gets a moon, or you don't have to bring it as a korban. But outside of Eretz Israel, it's on a path to being a non-korban. According to Rebbe Shimon, If you bring a Bechor that's unblemished from Chutz laaret, you offer it up on the mizbeach. If they're brought, yes, you bring it. Lachatchila low, but you're not obligated to, or maybe lachatchila you shouldn't. If it's outside of Eretz Yisrael, you're allowed to wait for it to get a blemish. It's not on a path for hakrava, similar to the idea of bechor nowadays. So here you have this was a perfect case that seemed to be Rabbi Yosef It was a bechor. You could sell it. You could marry a woman with it. And nevertheless, what we wound up saying was was that only in a special case, no base of Miktosh, outside of Eretz Yisrael, some special case, and we did not want to say that Rabbi Yosei Aglili considered this to be Maman Bailim. So doesn't that go against your general idea that Rabbi Yosei is willing to say that Kachim Kalim is Maman Bailim? Here we're really, really limiting Rabbi Yosei to a very special case. So the Gemara, And if it's true, if Reb Yossi is willing to say that at least when it's alive, it's Mamon Bailim, you know, in an unqualified way, so top of Yudgim, why not say that those that try to say we're talking about a special case, like it's outside of Eretz Yisrael, or on Samikdash, they don't agree to Reb Yossi. Okay, but according to Reb Yossi Aglili, yes, even if there's a base on Mikdash, even if you're in Eretz Yisrael, right now it's Kachim Kalim and it's Mamun Bailim. Why didn't we say that? Why did we have to limit it to a special case? Doesn't this show that Rabbi Yosef does not really say that it's you know, that's Mamun Bailim, except in a very narrow case? So the Gemara says, one minute, No. What? You're talking about gifts to a Kohen? You're talking about a B'chor? No, 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 no. kahuna gifts to the Kohen, are also from God's table. What does this mean? It means, when did Rabbi Yossi Aglili say that something was Mamun Bailim? When it started off as my cow, I sanctified it as a Shlomin. In that case, it was my cow before. It's my cow now. I'm going to eat the meat. I'm just going to bring it as a sacrifice. Okay, it has sanctity, just like a sefer Torah I own or tefillin I own has sanctity. But it's mine. That's mine. Your ox scores that you pay me. All right. That even though I'm going to be bringing this as a korban, that's what Rabbi Yosef Levi would say that mechayim the owner's korban that he sanctifies. Right. That is considered mamon bailing. However. The part that the Kohen is going to get off of my Shlomim didn't start as the Kohens. He's eating off of God's table. That's not Maman Bailim. You know what else? When I have a firstborn animal and I give it to a Kohen, he got it because it was a bechor. He didn't start with it as his as, as his sheep or his cow. In that case, again, he's getting it as God's off of God's table. I essentially gave it to God. God gave it to the kohen. Matnas kahuna are just like what the kohen gets after it's shechted. That's mishulchan gavura kazachu. So when we were talking about a bechor, the only way that would be considered Mammon of the kohen is if it's not on the path towards hakrava. But if it's on the path towards hakrava, since since the kohen only got it because it was matnas that also would not be um, mamon bailim. Okay, we will stop here.